Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. The oldest occupation in the world. Yeah, without, without mothers, there would be no world, right? <laughs> and I'm so glad that 107 years ago, Uh, President Woodrow Wilson was the one who decided that this needed to be a national holiday. And fittingly, I found out that the first Mother's Day was celebrated in a church. Now, a mother's love sets the standard. If you want to talk about degrees of love. You don't get much bigger, wider, deeper than a mother's love. I'm sure you've heard the old saying that He has a face that only a mother could love. Anyone heard that? Well, that's a put down, right? Right? Not all that great, but it does say a lot about a mother's love. Uh, A mother's love, they just love their children. They love them deeply and in a special way that nobody else could. In fact, last night um, at dinner, um, Micah, I'm going to tell on you, yesterday was Micah's birthday, his 18th birthday, guys. Yeah, right? Um, He reminded me about um, one story that he felt described the devotion of a mother's love. And that was in his sixth grade year when he had started growing out his long, luscious locks. That was the year that he found his look, he said. And so (laughs) Ezra happened to be in kindergarten that year. And as if you've ever had a kindergartner, um, you know, like in, in that setting, um, kindergarten is usually the year where you have to um, fight with the really awful thing called lice. Um, the, yeah, it just happens, right? It's the public school setting. It just happens. So this was in May of that school year. And, one, and Ezra was at this kitchen table, and I noticed that he was doing like this little itchy thing, you know, and I was like, oh, gosh. And so sure enough... It was the dreaded lice problem. Well, then, of course, I have to check all the other children. Well, of course, that one also had it, but he had his long, luscious, blonde locks. And I don't know if anybody's ever dealt with this issue before, but it is super difficult to get rid of. So it's the same color as his hair, so it's, like, so hard to get rid of. So anyways, by the third treatment, now we're into... The last week of May, almost June, like we're almost at the end of the school year. I told Micah, if it doesn't work this time, because every time I would do it, it would take like two hours to go through his hair. I said, if it doesn't work at this time, we're shaving off your head. And he says, or shaving off your hair. He says, mom, save the hair. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, this is my last effort to to try and save this hair. Because next week is summer. And if it's not gone by then, we're buzzing your head. Well, sure enough. We, we did save the hair, and that's, he, that's his greatest story, he says, of a domo, devoted mother's love. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so he, I did check with him before I told you guys that story. He said he gave me permission. So, of course, we deal with our we, mothers differently at different ages. We relate to them differently. At age four, it's like my mom can do anything. At age 12, it's more like, My mom doesn't know everything. And then at age 14, it's like, 
My mom doesn't know anything. 18, mom is so out of touch. She's so backwards. And then there's 25 comes along, and it's kind of like, well, mom may know a few things. Yeah, a few things. At age 35, it's more like, well, before we decide or make that decision, maybe we should consult mom. Then at age 45, it's like, huh, I wonder what my mom would think about this. And then 65, which I'm not there yet, but this is what I think sometimes happens. I wish I could talk to my mom just one more time. And I know some of you are having that feeling this morning because your mom is in heaven. And so she's no longer here. And that's hard. And that tugs at your heart. And so I just want you to know that, that we're thinking about you this morning too. And am I right that when you have your own children or, yeah, you have your own children, you suddenly realize how appreciative you need to be of your parents, right? The ones who raised you, the ones who put up with you, the ones who were patient with you. I oftentimes want to call my mom and dad and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful for how you put up with me and how patient you were with me. And now I realize the weight of responsibility that parenting is and what that really means. Um, I often say when I'm talking on this subject, that I really didn't realize how selfish I was. I didn't think I was a selfish person until I had my daughter, my Kelsey, my first one, and I was like, oh my gosh, please stop crying. I'm very tired. I would like to sleep. I'm sorry that you're hungry at two in the morning, but I am tired. Stop crying. <laughs> you know? And so you, you learn these things about yourself, but it reminds me of a story of a mom who was pushing her cart in Walmart and her daughter is sitting in the front of that cart, just screaming. Have any of you ever witnessed a scene like this, right? I'm, I've been in a scene like this. I mean, I've been the mom where it's like this. And the mother is saying out loud, now calm down, Ellen. It's going to be okay, Ellen. Just a little longer, Ellen. It's almost time to go home, Ellen. So one of the clerks noticed the situation and heard her speaking out loud, and she tapped her on the shoulder. She said, ma'am, you are to be commended at how patient you are with little Ellen. And the mom looked back at the clerk and said, lady, I am Ellen. <laughs> She's talking to herself through Walmart. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it. <laughs> and sometimes... There are days like that. We all have days like that, not just moms. Um, Titus 2, 3, and 5. Would you put that up there? Or not. I can read it. It says, The older woman, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders and not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may, be, may not be blasphemed. Well, I guess in this text, I am now 
one of, I'm the older woman. <laughs> I can say that. I just turned 40. Did I just turn 49? I think I did. I just turned 49 in April. And so, and my fourth born just turned 18 yesterday. So I feel like I'm, I'm now fitting more into the older woman category. So before we even get started in this text and in this message, what I would like to say to those who are in a setting, um, younger moms with younger children, or just anywhere in that, and you're just thinking about what it's going to be like even, I just would like to say this to you. I would say this to my 25-year-old self that was having my daughter. I would say relax, slow down, play more, laugh more, and enjoy. That's what I would say to myself back. Enjoy. Just slow it down just a little bit. Just like take a step back and like don't be so stressed. You're not going to get all those kudos for like your grout being bleached all the time or every single piece of laundry in your house being folded. It's okay to relax and enjoy the ride. But let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel is a book in the Bible about three great men. Samuel the prophet, Saul, the first king of Israel, and David, the subsequent king, who was a man after God's own heart. So it's a book about three great men, but interestingly enough, the book starts with a woman, and a woman who's infertile. But eventually she has a son named Samuel, who becomes the prophet. Somebody once said that when God wants to do a great work, He gets a hold of a man, but when he wants to do an exceptionally great work, he gets a hold of a woman. Can I get an amen? (laughs) And there's plenty of precedent for that in scripture, actually. Uh, Israel's deliverance began with a woman named Jochebed, the mother of Moses, who by faith put her baby in that basket and sent him down the river. That's how it began, with a woman. The story in the line of King David begins with a woman by the name of Ruth. The miraculous preservation of the Jews in Persia is the story of Esther, who had the kind of faith to put it on the line. And then even our salvation in the Gospels begins with a young Jewish woman, a virgin, as you know, named Mary, who was visited by God. Now, in Samuel chapter 1, I'd like to show you three attributes of a great mother. So the title of our message this morning, Marks of Greatness, Moms, Mentoring, and Making a Difference. And the reason why I did it that way is because I want to preface this message and actually this day, Mother's Day, by just saying that I'm speaking to everyone in the room. Young, old, male, female, biological moms, moms in the waiting, spiritual moms, grandmothers, because the principles that we're going to be highlighting this morning can be applied to everyone. So when I say these two words, a great mother, it's just in the point, but I want you to put yourself in that sentence and apply it to your life. There's principles in here that can be applied across the board. And I don't want anybody to check out because you don't feel you qualify when I say great mother, because I'm really speaking in a broad stroke. So point number one, first of all, all great mothers have great problems. Can I get an amen? Yep. 
That needs to be said more. I think sometimes we think of Bible characters um, that they're perfect people without any problems, no struggles. They glow in the dark. They're shiny. They float around, right? Uh, But people are people and all people. Every life has problems, including the life of the woman we're going to talk about, the mother of the one who would become the great prophet Samuel. So let's look at her problem. First of all, in verses 1 and 2. 1 Samuel, verse 1 and 2. Okay, the first problem is that she has a problem with infertility. Now, I'm going to really rock it here and read all of these fancy names. Are you ready? I practiced. Let's see if I can do it. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, there's a lot of emotions in that verse. She had no children. It was the hope of every Jewish couple to have children. It was seen in those days as a blessing of the Lord. And they thought that the more kids that you had, the more blessed you were. In fact, in Psalm 127, 3 and 4, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So in that culture, childlessness was such a terrible stigma that it was seen as an affliction. We see this in verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give to him the Lord all the days of my life and no razor shall come upon his head. Now notice she talks about her condition as an affliction. An affliction is something that causes great pain or suffering. We see this in the book of Genesis with Jacob's wife, Leah. She also says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction when she gets pregnant. That's her saying that the Lord has helped her with this. Um, It's so ingrained in the mindset of the parents thousands of years ago that even the rabbis at this time had certain sayings, not biblical nor the heart of God. But one rabbi said that there were seven people that would be excommunicated by God. The first is a Jew who has no wife, and the second is a Jew who has a wife but no child. So in that culture, if a woman couldn't bear a son or daughter, it was grounds for divorce, actually. And they made a rule that if within 10 years there was no child, that the husband could either choose to divorce or could choose to add on a second wife. And so that's why we see in this text that there is Hannah and Panina, because that's what Hannah's husband had chosen. So we have Hannah's first problem, and that's infertility. But she has another problem. She has a rival. 
and her name is Penina. Let's go back to verse 4. 1 Samuel, verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So imagine Hannah, unable to have a single child, and then there's another wife in the occasion, in the equation, that, and she has many. I mean, it would be hard to be at family dinners. It would be hard to go to church as a family. And the worst time was this annual feast, which was supposed to be a time of rejoicing, but not for Hannah. It was a time of recoiling for her and when she felt most rejected. Verse 6 says, And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Panina, the pest, we're going to call her. Provoked, which means deliberately to make somebody annoyed or angry. So not only can... Panina have many daughters and sons, but Hannah can have none. And Panina goes out of her way to provoke Hannah. So it was obviously bad for Hannah. But this does give us some insight into a common problem that many face today, and that's infertility. It affects more women than we may be aware of. It's estimated that one out of every eight couples that's 12%, cannot have children in our country. And that's 7.3 million Americans. The, the people who are suffering with this, they've gone to doctors, they've prayed, they've been anointed with oil, they've travailed, they're standing in faith. And so I bring that up only to say that we as a body need to be very mindful of the fact that Mother's Day is not a happy day for everybody. And we need to be very compassionate and come alongside those who are struggling in this area. They are happy to celebrate for others, but imagine the tinge of burden that they carry because they're infertile and they want it so badly, but they haven't been able to have a child yet. And I know this is a hard thing to talk about right off the bat, but... This is part of the sovereignty of God. Sometimes the things that we don't understand. I don't know why some can have children and others can't. I don't know why there are so many pregnant teenagers while couples who desperately want a child are unable to. But here's what I do know. That your value to God is not based on your ability to reproduce that God loves you because you are made in his image and you are of great value to him, whether you can produce or not. And so I want you to also know this, that you're not alone. Those people who suffer with this are not alone. There's a long list of women of faith, great faithful women who were at one time infertile and then the Lord opened their womb. Sarah, Abraham's wife. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Rachel, Jacob's other wife, Ruth, the wife of Boaz, where in her first marriage, she was unable to produce children, but in her second marriage, she had children. And then Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. 
You see, many of the most righteous women, the matriarchs of faith, those of great faith were the ones that were struggling in this area. So it doesn't mean that if you can have children, you're a better person or godlier. And if you're infertile, you're not. Or if you're unable to bear a child, it doesn't mean you're cursed. I believe it means you're kept. You're reserved for other blessings. Now hear me out. I can think of a few. Now, God may still be preparing you right now to be a parent in the future. Just because the doctor says you're unable to have a child doesn't mean that God says that. And Pastor Scott and I can attest to that. We've prayed over people. We've walked alongside women who the doctor told them they couldn't have children, and now they have like four children. So the Lord does these things. God may be preparing you now, even though you're not able to bear right now. And this is the same thing in any area where the Lord has given you a dream, a vision, a goal, that just because the Lord is saying not now doesn't mean not ever. So I want you to hold on to that. If there's something in your life that the Lord is saying not now, it doesn't mean not ever. The Lord asks us to trust his perfect timing. The second thing is he may be preparing you for fostering or adoptive parents. And then a third possibility is that he may just be preparing you for a very specific work where it would be difficult to do what he's calling you to do if you had children. Now, my daughter Kelsey, she's not married yet, but we do have had discussions about the fact that, you know, she doesn't have a a significant other and this, that, and the other. And we've talked about the fact that, well, but the Lord has you in Africa right now, and it would be really hard to say yes to that calling, or it would be not impossible, but way more difficult to say yes to that calling with with a spouse or a significant other in tow. Um, And so we just trust the Lord's timing in in our life. And that's a great example of that. So great mothers then have great problems. That's number one. As we look at this woman named Hannah, we understand that her relationship with God and her husband and her son, whom she will have, are right on target. God first, husband second, children third. It's important in our lives to have those three things in proper alignment. So God first, spouse second, children third. Proper alignment is key. So let's look at her priorities. First of all, with her God. Did I miss something there? I did not. Okay. Verse number nine and 10. So Hannah rose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, oh, I, oh, my bad. Okay, so I did totally skip over that. Number two, great mothers keep great priorities. Thank you, Noah. He's a man. All right, now back to uh, verse 9 and 10. So Hannah rose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. And prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. What a snapshot. Tears mingled with heartfelt prayers 
Some of you know what that pain is like. When tears are in our eyes and there's travail in your heart. Well, this woman poured all of that out before the Lord. Interestingly enough, in the text, there's no mention of the fact that she complains to her husband, that she's wanting to fight back with Panina, her rival who was provoking her. She didn't talk to her friends according to the text and complain to them. What she does is she takes it to the Lord. She takes her sorrow of heart and pours it out to the Lord. Verse 11 says, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Look at what she calls God. She says, O Lord of hosts. Do you know what that means? It's a frequent statement that's used in the word. And it means literally you are the master commander of heaven's armies. She's appealing to God based on God's character and his authority and sovereignty. He is powerful and based on your power as the commander of all of heaven's armies. I ask you this. I give you this request. In verse 12 through 16, it says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put that wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Notice in verse 12, as she continued praying, that should be circled, marked, underlined in your Bible. Not a quick popcorn prayer, not a one and done, just shoot it up there, hope it lands. No, she prayed, then continually prayed and repeated that request before the Lord. Verse number 17 says, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition which you have asked him. Now that's a blessing, a benediction, a well-wished statement that he prays over her. He's not saying, I'm saying you're going to have children, but I hope you do. And he sends her off. And then in verse 18, she says, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So when the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. It's interesting, isn't it? She, she goes in sad, and she comes out glad. She goes in with sorrow of heart, and she leaves that time of prayer with the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Just like Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, which surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So all of that to say is that Hannah has a real relationship with God. Not just a ritual relationship. Not just a come on Sunday relationship. Not just a yearly offering. She's continuing going before the Lord. This is, her, this is who she is. This is her relationship with the Lord. She has a depth of relationship. You can't pass on something to others that you don't have yourself. So we need to get before the Lord if we need peace. We need to get before the Lord if we need understanding. We need to get before the Lord if we want to learn how to give out unconditional love because we cannot give what we don't have. So here we see Hannah and her relationship with God, the priority of pouring out whatever's on her heart in her life, whatever's going on in your life, pouring it out before the Lord. Now let's look at her relationship with her husband in verse number four and five. It says, whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. So to Hannah, he would give a double portion. Then let's skip down to verse number eight. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart so grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Mm. I'm not so sure that that last statement was very helpful in the situation. Honestly, I feel like there's a little jab in that statement. Like, she's brokenhearted. She can't have a child. And he comes along and he's like, baby, you got me. Look at all this right here. I mean, how many times have you, have you had that situation where, like, you're really, like, struggling with somebody, and somebody says something, and you just want to look at them and go, huh? What? Baby, you got me. I can think of a few times in our kitchen that that might have happened. <laughs> he tries to flex and be like, oh, but what about this? It's not that bad. like, <laughs> Okay, thank you, Adam. This that's not helpful right now. <laughs> Aside from that, what I do want you to notice is that there's an understanding between Hannah and her husband. There's a great love between them. Verse number five says explicitly, 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 that he loved Hannah and he gave her a double portion. You know, in the Middle Eastern cultures, when you give somebody a double portion, you. It means that you're honoring them. You're giving them more food. In my family in Kenya, in their home, if you, the more you eat, the more they love it because they want to keep feeding you. They're honoring you with the food. And uh, so it's a cultural thing. So a double portion is, is a good thing. That means he loves her so much. So here's a couple. They understand each other. And he's a husband who is 
dwelling with his life with dwelling with his wife with understanding, like Peter writes in the scriptures. Somebody once said that marriage is like a long trip in a tiny rowboat. If one passenger starts to rock the boat, then the other has to steady it or they both go down. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's, that's just a little piece of advice for all y'all who's not married yet in this room. You just know that. People say that love is blind. And if love is blind, then marriage is the eye opener. Okay? So there needs to be a lot of understanding poured into this relationship. There needs to be a lot of love and stability for that relationship to endure and, and be long-term. There has to be a lot of love for God and then a lot of love for the spouse. And you know what we've discovered, Pastor Scott and I, is that kids love to see their parents love each other. Now, they might think it's mushy and gross, and they might go, but they do actually love it. And... um, so we've discovered this, and then we make fun of it. We, we, we like to, you know, he'll come into the kitchen and be like, hey, baby, and they're just sitting there, and they're like, oh, that's so weird. Knock it off. And we're like, ha And the more they think it's weird, the more we do it. So, um, but yeah. The best gift you can give your kids is to show love in front of them. Yeah. Now, I'm saying appropriate. Like, you don't want to be making out in the kitchen in front of your kids. Like, that's weird. Okay, that's weird. Like, I, I, I tell him, come on, honey, back off. Not, not now. Just joking. <laughs> I just like to make him blush in the front because he always makes me blush. So it's my turn. <laughs> I got the mic. <laughs> <did not> approve <laughs> so number two was great mothers have great priorities. She has a great priority towards God, toward her husband, and toward her family. Verse number 19 through 23 says, They arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at uh, Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait till you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Samuel means, in Hebrew, means God hears. I think that's so special that she named him Samuel. God hears. And in those days, weaning, it wasn't just a couple months or years, not like it is now. Weaning actually could be five to seven or more years back then. A child was weaned for a long time, but the idea of weaning wasn't just physical nurturing. It was also a spiritual training involved. 
So it carries the idea of to deal fully with when you wean. And it has the idea, like I said, of spiritual training involved. You'll remember that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I know you from childhood have been trained in the Holy Scriptures. You learned them from your mother and your grandmother. They weaned their children physically and spiritually. So when God gave Hannah Samuel, she was dedicated to raising him, even though it took several years. Even though she couldn't go to certain things, maybe do hobbies that she wanted to, the activities that she wanted to do. It was a season where she was dedicating her life to nurturing. She made it her priority to train her child. Why? Because she already knew that in just a few years, she's going to drop him off at the tabernacle and he's going to live and grow up there. That was the vow she made. And so for the first few years was very important for her to depart to, yeah, and impart into him what the Lord was showing her and, and teaching her. Um, and so we, here's a woman with great problems, great priorities towards God, her husband, and her family. And then here's the third trait. Great mothers make great plans. Verse 24 through 28. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one epeph of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. This is the launching of Samuel. This is what she promised and planned she would do if the Lord gave her a son. The launching, the releasing of, of the son, the releasing of the dream back to God. Okay? Okay. I realized she said, this child is on loan from God to me. She understood this, to parent, to nurture, to train, to build. And then I will lend him back to God for his purpose. The interesting thing about this book of Samuel, contextually and historically, just so we have it in our minds, is that in our English Bible, the Bible that we look at, you have the book of Judges, then the book of Ruth, and then the book of 1 Samuel. But it's not the case in the Hebrew Bible, the original Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, the order is Judges, the book of Judges, and then the book of 1 Samuel. And the book of Ruth is in a whole other section of the Hebrew Bible. It's in there, but it's in a different placement. So in the Hebrew Bible... The stage 
of 1 Samuel is set by the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is the period of time where Israel is at its lowest. They're at, they're at its coldest spiritual point. The morality in the country is debauched. In fact, at the end of the book of Judges, it says there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sound familiar to our times? Somewhat similar. During that period when Israel was at its lowest, God had a plan. And this woman's plan with God was to have a child who would come on the scene as a prophet and be used as a priest under Eli and impact the nation so that Samuel would become the king maker. He was the one who selected Saul, and he was the one who selected King David. And none of that would have been possible if it wasn't for a woman who prayed and planned for it. She made a vow to dedicate her son to God. What I think is interesting and what is key here and what we can grab a hold of is in this is that Hannah realized that nothing we have is really ours anyway. It's not. You're just a steward of whatever you have. You may think you own it, but you'll leave it to somebody someday. You're just touching it now whatever that is, even includes your children. God gives us children so that we might pour into them and then launch them. I like to use the phrase raised to release because that's the job. That's what raised to release. And we can even use that phrase raised to release in any of the situations that we find ourselves, the dreams, the visions, the callings on your life, that the Lord is raising up something for it to be released. It's a process of raising and releasing. So as we're closing, I want you to consider these three things. Great mothers have great problems. Great mothers have great priorities and great mothers make great plans. And let's restate that. Great people, great followers of Christ have great problems. Great people, great followers of Christ have great priorities. Great people and great followers of Christ make great plans. And I want you to go away with three takeaways today. I want three things to, to linger in your heart as you go, maybe as you ponder throughout the week. Number one, you are of value to God. Whether you have children or not, God loves you. Each and every one of you in this room, God loves you for who you are not what you do. If you could just get a hold of that one, I, that would transform your life. I've dealt with that one for far too long. 
and had to work really hard to unravel what was kinked and twisted for me. That God loves you for who you are, not what you do. Rest in that today. Rejoice in that today. Number two, when you have pain, God has a plan. When you're at your worst, God is at work. You got to know that you know that you know that he is faithful, and that means that he is up to something. That your pain has purpose. God is at work. And you just got to get before him and find out what that is. What are you doing, Lord? What? Help me see. Help me understand. Help me to deepen my trust in you. Get before him because he wants to show you. He wants to speak to you. And number three, you need a set of priorities that you're going to live your life by. Personally towards God and then relationally toward others. You need to consider your priorities and make sure that they're in proper alignment. God first, relationships, spouse, husband, wife, relationships. And then if you have children, they are underneath those. And when you get those in right alignment, his favor will rest upon you and his peace will rest upon you. I can tell you personally that when my priorities have gotten out of whack, that's when I have felt most turmoil in my own life because I let my priorities get out of whack instead of putting first things first and putting what's important first. You know, we, we like to live our lives like we got all the time in the world. But my fourth born child who feels like he was just born yesterday and I can see the whole thing in my head is now 18. And I'm trying to figure out how did that happen? Like, I just, it boggles my mind. How did that happen? But we gotta, we gotta prioritize our life so that first things are first, so we don't miss what he's wanting to do in your life and through your life because he wants us to do something amazing and great. And I'm going to close with that. I'm going to pray over you this morning. If you would bow your head. Maybe just open your hands if you want just to receive from him this morning. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being a nurturer, a mother, a mentor, a friend, a son, a daughter, a pursuer of you. What an amazing gift it is that you've given us in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to learn unconditional love. That these kids and the people that we have relationship with don't have to do anything to be loved, but just they are loved. That we would flow out of that And sometimes, Lord, we can't give away what we don't have. So fill us, Lord, 
today with a new understanding of the depth of your love for us. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit so we would have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. Lord, we need everything you can give us to fulfill the tasks that you have placed on each of our lives. You have a special calling for each and every person in this room, and I thank you for that. And I thank you, Father, that you help us to understand what that is. Lord, I pray for the children represented in this room. For the children, Lord, that you have destined to be that are not yet here. Lord, for the children that are sitting in this room, for the parents who have children over in children's ministry, for the grandparents who represent grandchildren and their children and their legacy. Lord, I want to pray over the children represented that you would seek and save them and that a generation would rise up, Lord, a generation that would rise up strong to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we love you this morning and we thank you for who you are in our lives and your abundant love towards us in your mighty and matchless name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.